Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Sunday, December 8th, the day after the Canucks squeak out a overtime victory, uh, 6-5 to over their expansion cousins from Buffalo. The Sabres came to town on 80s night, which actually took place during the day. It was 80s day, but literally no one called it that. And uh, fun game, really. Fun game to watch. Fun game uh, to enjoy in the building as well, because I believe it was Larry uh, of Larry and Willie fame uh, of Jack FM as well who took over the DJ duties for the game, uh, pushed DJ Baroness out of the booth and was spinning records all night long playing 80s hits. You know what? The game presentation was fantastic. It was so much better than an ordinary game. And um, I guess that's the answer to what can make Canucks games fun as far as a game presentation sense. Just let the old guy spin the old tunes all the time. You know what? Feels like hockey music. Okay, m- maybe not necessarily like Depeche Mode or New Order, but you know, if you go to a, a junior hockey rink or if you go to a small town and you go to see some hockey there, you're going to hear a lot of like 80s hair metal. And that's what it's all about a lot more than like, contemporary top 40 hits. Anyways, I don't want to get off on a rant about music because we don't really have time for that today. Do want to say, if you are listening to today's show and you have not listened to yesterday's show, I was joined for a fantastic conversation by Thomas Drance of The Athletic, and that is an evergreen convo. We talked about uh, Thomas's oral history of Alex Burrow's dragon slaying goal and how Quinn Hughes is establishing himself as potentially the Calder favorite at the moment right now as well. So that is still good to listen to, despite the fact that uh, you know a game has been played since then. If you haven't heard it, I uh, had a great time talking to Tom, so I do recommend that you go back and listen to that. Also, do want to recommend one more time that you can head on over to the Locked On NHL podcast feed and catch my one-on-one conversation with former NHL player Daniel Carcillo about uh, the NHL and junior hockey's culture of abuse, whether that is uh, you know, mental, physical, or sexual, and um, a, a fantastic conversation with a guy who is doing a lot of work to try and uh, make players more comfortable to open up about the ways that hockey has wronged them so that hockey can change and grow and be better. Um, uh, just, you know, I, it was a very... Heavy conversation, but one that I was very thankful to have, and I would ask that you check that out on the Locked On NHL feed. Before we get into today's chat, though, I do want to thank you, uh, thank the listeners of this program, because, of course, Georgia Twist came on here this past Friday morning and asked you to go help her sell the last of her Canuckmas Christmas cards, and I don't want to take full credit for it as far as this podcast goes, but uh, within the publishing of this show on Friday morning, Georgia was sold out within about four hours, and she was very nervous the night before that that was not going to happen. So if you heard this show and you rushed to go buy a card from her, thank you so much for doing a great thing and helping Georgia raise money toward Canuck Place. I really appreciate it, and I know she does as well. Without further ado, however, here's today's conversation with a guy who, uh, well, he stirred it up a little bit over the last couple days. Jackson McDonald returns to Locked on Canucks. Well, ordinarily, I do not have guests on the program to, uh, you know, join me for the post-game breakdown, and we are recording in the immediate aftermath of yesterday's 6-5 overtime victory over the Buffalo Sabres. But, hey, when news happens, we need to cover it on this program, and quite frankly, news happened 
yesterday, two days ago perhaps, as you're hearing this. And to join me to talk about it, well, it's it's a returning favorite, a gentleman who is putting a little distance between himself and J.D. Burke as far as uh, repeat appearances on this program. But I guess Thomas Drantz made a repeat appearance as well. Uh, it's Jackson McDonald, the managing editor of Canucks Army. Jackson, you've got people nipping at your heels here as far as the most appearances on Locked on Canucks. You needed to uh, reassert yourself atop the food chain. Is that correct? Uh, well, you know, I, I don't really think about those guys, so. <laughs> no, you're not. Did you Did you hear when JD was on a couple of weeks ago and uh, said that you are trying to make him break his one rule? Well, you know, I mean, I, I do, I try to listen to the show as often as possible, but I generally only make a priority if the guests are good. Okay. So I, I haven't actually heard that one. All right. Well, he's a bit of a joker, that guy. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I heard it. I thought it was really funny. I just have to give JD a hard time at, at every possible opportunity. Of course, that's uh, that's you know that's what friendship is about. I think that's right. Um, but we, you're joining me here today because, I mean, let's let's be honest, Jackson. If you had to describe a team who uh, had a five to three lead over the lowly Buffalo Sabers and yet somehow let another third period lead slip away and only very narrowly escaped with a six five victory on home ice in a game that you know could have gone one way or the other, 50-50, uh, right down the middle. Uh, what word would you use to describe a team like that? Well, I, I think I would use the word mediocre, but um, I apparently that's uh, somewhat of a loaded term, so I guess maybe I might have to reconsider have we have we looked up the Webster's definition of, of mediocre? I haven't I haven't looked at the Webster's definition. I have looked at the dictionary.com definition and practically memorized it uh, after after having a, a number of people very mad at me. And um, the in the context of of when I used it, I intended it to mean uh, you know middling. Uh, I, I a lot of people. Uh, want me to use the word average but the problem with the word average is that it it has a mathematical meaning and and that canucks army we use a lot of stats and i i thought it would be misleading to to say that they would be average because that sort of implies that they're you know 15 16th in the league in every category and that's not true um they're a they're a middling uh you know, the, the the word that comes to mind when I when I see them on the ice is sort of meh. They're they're still they're good at some things, they're bad at some things, and and overall they're well the kind of team that uh, blows a two goal lead in the third period and uh, almost loses it in overtime, but not for uh, a sort of fortuitous uh, penalty call. I'm looking at the definition right now. Mediocre <laughs> adjective. <laughs> Of only moderate quality, not very good. Used in a sentence, a mediocre actor. Uh, yeah, I would say that is a fair description of this team. And look, I, I've seen I've seen a lot of pushback on your piece. Obviously, some segments of the fan base uh, just uh, 
utterly furious that you would use that term to describe a team that, as you wrote it, was uh, in 15th place in the league and had lost more games than it had won. Uh, but there were other people who said that, you know, well, that's such that's such an obvious thing. We, we, we didn't need you to write that, Jackson, because obviously everyone knows what this team is already, and it's not like the media in this town spends every single day asking its listeners, what is this team, you know, on a day-to-day <laughs> basis? So, um, you know, what what inspired you to write this take? Because, I, you know, this is something that I've been debating on this show. I'm just as guilty as any other media member in this city. The fact that on a night-to-night basis, it's hard to get a read on them. On a month-to-month basis, it's been hard to get a read on them. What is this team? I think you sought to answer that question. Yeah, well, I, it was, I was inspired by sort of two different things. The, the first was, believe it or not, uh, I actually didn't like that I saw so many people in November kind of taking a victory lap on the uh, folks who were very optimistic after the team had, had gotten off to such a hot start in October. And I wanted to sort of say, like, okay, look, yes, the team was very bad in November, but they are still that, – that doesn't mean that they're going to remain bad moving forward. The underlying numbers are still pretty decent in some contexts, a little bit worse in others. Um, and overall, uh, I think if you look at the way they performed in November and the way they performed in October, the only conclusion you can really come to is that they're sort of hovering around a 50-50 hockey team with a decent power play, which is not a good team, not a bad team, but just a team that's somewhere in the middle and to what end of the good or bad spectrum they end up being on is is still a matter of debate um and then the other reason i was inspired was because i think you and i were actually talking about this a little bit off air but the the market has been i would say almost relentlessly positive this season about a team that has yes looked a lot better uh over the course of these first two months of the season but you know, you've got to remember, they have been really, really bad for like five, six years. And uh, I think it's very, very easy when you watch a team that has been that bad for so long to get an inflated sort of sense of what a stretch of decent games actually means. Um, can the Canucks be a good team in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Hell, they might even be a good team by the end of the year. But as of right now, they're strictly in middling kind of who cares territory. And I think if people weren't so used to watching such a bad team, that wouldn't be such a controversial uh, take, but apparently it is. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is something that I've been meaning to talk about a little bit, and I feel like I did sort of touch on maybe closer to the beginning of the season, is that we sort of jumped the gun with expectations in this city, right? Like, at least when things ratcheted up in Toronto with their, like, exciting young core, they had to make the playoffs once first (laughs) before expectations started to go through the roof. And yet... 
this team has not done that. This team still might not do that this year. And we've seen this jump in the city just solely based on, as you mentioned, the fact that the team is like baseline watchable, like they're entertaining <laughs> this year in yeah. a way that they haven't necessarily been in years previous. That's still not the mark of a great team, you know? Like, the the fact that that game against Pittsburgh last week was watchable doesn't mean it was a good game. In fact, <laughs> it was far from the sort, you know? Like, it, it is funny the way that just... We've, we've, we've skipped a year here, basically. We, we have stopped thinking that we're watching a team going through growing pains, which we very much are. That's why you have a team that can't hang on to third-period leads. That's why you have a team that needed overtime to get past Buffalo today. That's why you have a team that pissed it away against Pittsburgh last week. Because they're young and they're learning. They are students right now. They are not ready. You know, that, that Pittsburgh game in particular... You could just see, there was like a shot, I think, as the broadcast went to commercial of like Malkin after he scored his goal, which I believe made it a one goal game in the third period, where he's just kind of like skating towards the bench and does kind of like a a bring it on sort of taunt towards (laughs) the Canucks side of the ice. That was like the slow motion still as the broadcast went into commercial. And it's just like, that's a man. That is a full grown man who Mm -hmm. has been through all of these things and knows exactly what to do in any situation that you can put him in. He is unflappable, and he is confident and comfortable. There is not a single player, save for maybe JT Miller on the Canucks, who you can say the same thing about. And that's totally fine, because... They're young. They're kids. They're learning. They might not make the playoffs this year, but they're certainly going to be closer than they have been in years past. And, yeah, I mean, what else do you call that other than middling? Or perhaps mediocre. <laughs> perhaps, yeah. Um, I'm I'm glad you you bring that up too because I think sometimes uh, this gets lost when I when I talk about the team. But the reason why I am always kind of firmly on the side of let's pump the brakes here is that this team has a lot of time to get where they need to be, and I I think that. You know, with the pieces that they have, particularly, uh, I think Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat as a one-two punch is a very good, uh, you know, that's very good center depth to build your team around. I think Quinn Hughes is a really special player. I Just for the record, I, I thought Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes had a very, very, very good chance to be the best forward and best defenseman in Canucks history before either of them had ever played a game um, because that's how passionately I felt about them as, as prospects. But I think the thing that gets lost sometimes is that they have time here, and the only thing that is going to get in their way is if they make poor decisions because they want to get there more quickly than they're poised to. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's fine that they're, I think it's, I, I'm loving this. It's so, this is like the best place for them to be from an entertainment value perspective, because I'm, I'm sorry, like, obviously you want to watch your team win or whatever, but like the most fun games to watch are the games like that Pittsburgh game where teams, multiple teams blow a million leads and it ends up with some, you know, ridiculous like 
football score or whatever at the end of the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that they have plenty of time here and there's, there's no reason to, to get ahead of ourselves. Um, and, and I also think that, you know, when this, if this team does fall back a little bit and, you know, get closer to the bottom end of the standings, then, you know, I'm going to be here saying, hey, look, guys, it's really not that bad. Your, your expectations were inflated in the first place. I'm trying to set everyone up so that they won't be so disappointed if things don't go the way that the most ruthlessly optimistic uh, people in the market think that they will. Of course, Jackson is correct that uh, the Canucks have plenty of time to get where they need to go, but DoorDash only needs 20 minutes to an hour. Yes, treat yourself to the meal that you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code Locked On. Listen on the go. If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcasts.com slash off. I think that there's a lot of people who see, you know, you saying that or me even tweeting like uh, like I tweeted at the end of uh, the the Philadelphia game a week and a half ago or close to two weeks ago now that the Canucks are a bad team. Like that's me staking ground that I'm going to circle back to and do a victory lap at the end of the year if they really are bad. Like. Part of the fun of following a team, and I tried to make this point on the show a couple weeks ago, I don't know how well I made it, is to be malleable and to be along for the ride and to change your opinion as new information presents itself. I thought the Canucks were a bad team at the end of that Philly game. I don't know how you could watch yeah, that game you. and not think that, you know? Yeah. But if they play well a month from now, I might think they're good again, you know? I talked myself into the fact that they were going to go 8-4 and four in the final 12 games of November because oh, they had man. one great showing against the St. Louis Blues in a game they didn't even win. <laughs> I was, I was like, I almost fell off my chair when I was listening to you say that. I was like, I was at my uh, desk where my Canucks calendar is, like looking at the schedule and just being like, "Oh man, he's gonna eat shit on all of these predictions." I don't know if I could say that, <laughs> but uh, and uh, and you know, I I I think your mistake was uh, just. Yeah, and it happens all the time where people just, well, you know, I'll just assume that they win all the games they should win and lose all the games that they should lose. And as soon as you got to uh, New Jersey and said, oh, they're going to win, they'll, they'll beat New Jersey, I was like, ah, you're being too logical about this. You're going you're gonna, to uh, really regret a lot of these choices later on because the problem is that logic does not uh, dictate who, who wins. Everybody... Everybody should have known the Canucks were going to lose that game in uh, in New Jersey because uh, the Canucks are cursed against New Jersey, and they so, always lose against New Jersey. Lose, it's yeah. like playing on a Indian burial ground, basically. Exactly. And, yeah. I mean, that's what it's like when they're in New Jersey. But somehow, the same thing happens when they're in Vancouver. They just never beat the Devils. And I'm not thinking about that at all as I'm making that prediction. But you know, I I don't think I've addressed this on the show since it happened. I actually went 
0 for 12 on that prediction. I did not predict a single game correctly on that entire stretch, which is why it's funny to me to see people attacking you yesterday (laughs) on Twitter saying, well, all he did was look at the results from the last two months and try to explain why they happened. A real journalist looks at the past and uses it to inform me about what's going to happen in the future. And I can speak personally on this front. That's fucking impossible. Like, especially in the NHL this season when we are looking at a golden age of parity where any team can beat any other team on any given night. You know, the Leafs were looking like a sad sack club coming into uh, the game that uh, is currently being played as we record this. They're up 5-2 to two on the best team in hockey, the St. Louis Blues. You know, and the Leafs are not necessarily a bad team, but they have looked like one at times because you simply cannot predict Anything that's going to happen in the NHL this season. So expecting like good journalism is uh, looking at the tea leaves and telling me as a soothsayer exactly what's going to happen. It is. It's not. It's not possible. It's not possible. And also, where did you possibly get that idea from? Like, who in this market has ever predicted the future properly? Yeah. We talk in reverence of Jason Botchford on this show almost every episode, and that's because he was the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, to quote Bret Hart. But, like... Do, do you ever recall, Jason, predicting the future and thinking, well, that's what makes him a great writer. He's telling me exactly what's going to happen months in advance. No, absolutely not. That's not no. what a journalist does. And that's not what great writing is. And it's not even possible. I'm not excusing my own bad predictions because you're right. I was flawed in my process from the beginning. <laughs> but any predictions are going to be flawed, especially in a league this year where, like, who fucking knows what's going to happen on a night-to-night basis. It's impossible to tell. Yeah, I mean, I think I predicted, um, like, I, I think I predicted San Jose and Winnipeg to win the, uh, the divisions of the West uh, at the start of the year. So, like, yeah, it's, it's completely impossible. Um, I think... Uh, and what, Winni- Winnipeg would have looked like a terrible prediction three weeks ago, and right now yeah, and, it looks good again. And now who- that's the reasonable looking one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I know. It's completely. It's, I think that I think the reason why people maybe think that is because Canucks Army has this sort of history of, um, you know, having takes that age very well. Like, um, uh, for example, you know, having Braden Point in our top fifteen prospects in uh whatever year that was that he was drafted i think it was 2014 uh or you know uh infamously jake Vertanen is good so don't draft him uh advocating for for nylander or ehlers over over Vertanen at uh, during the 2014 draft but the the thing with those predictions is that that they're very like this player is going to be over the course of hopefully a career that lasts hundreds of games this player will be more productive than another player and you know stats can help you do that they can help you tell you what is going to happen over a very large sample a very large stretch of time but as far as like one season if if you predicted that the st louis blues were going to win the stanley cup last year uh, in in like January or whatever, you that meant that you were insane. That, that was, <laughs> if you did that, you were you were a stupid person. Yeah. Well, what was the payout like, on that guy who bet? 
because someone actually made that bet in Vegas, and the yeah. the casino tried to buy him out of the bet before Game Seven because they That's did right. not want to pay the outrageous payout, and he didn't take it. He got the payout. King, absolute king shit. I love it so much. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I mean, I will say my prediction game gotten a little bit better of late. I did think that Antoine Roussel was going to come out just fired out of a cannon, especially on Alex Burroughs night. And he has three goals in two games currently. Uh, and I, I'm going to pull back the curtain here for a moment and reveal the fact that that Thomas Drance interview that uh, came out yesterday and is a very strong interview. I recommend you go back and listen to it if you have not already. Uh, well, let's go back even a day before that, because on, on Thursday night, I recorded with Georgia Twist an episode that came out on Friday morning where I said, I feel like Quinn Hughes goes underappreciated because there isn't a Jason Botchford in this city to scream at us every week about how great he is. The very next day, Tom Drance drops an article about how Quinn Hughes is way better than any of us think. So, yes, that's beautiful prescience right there. But then I talked to Tom that very same night, an interview that we recorded on Thursday night that came out on Saturday morning, where I said, this team needs to make the playoffs so we find another rival, an external rivalry that takes the pressure off of fighting amongst ourselves. Mm -hmm. And Jackson, what would you say happened on Friday? I'm I'm not sure I follow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do you not think that this fan base went to war with itself? Oh, yes. No, absolutely. I'm sorry. I thought you were saying that they found an external oh, no, no. And I'm, I was like, uh, I am not external, my friend. No, 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 <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I no, just, yeah, absolutely. It was kind of an oblique no. thing that I said, a, a joke about this fan base being at war with itself. And then we got like the most intense, heated and, day that we've seen in ages. literally making references to war <laughs> as well. Like, yeah. we, won't get in, we won't get into that. That's more like Roxy Fever territory. It disrespects yeah. the troops to call your blog Canucks Army, Jackson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it was complete. Yeah, it, it, it's true. I, I, and I agree, with, I agree with that assessment, too. It will be. It's, it's nice. First, first of all, it's nice that the team is like even worth arguing about again and that people get riled up and passionate about it. But it's going to be even nicer when we're, we're back to the sort of early uh, 2010s era of, you know, being mad at like referees and, and other teams, ratty players or whatever, instead of um, just everyone being mad at me all the time. Yeah. Well, uh, or, you know, other fans and so on, etc. Yes. It would be nice if we could return to that. But let's get back to a another prediction that I made. And this isn't even really a prediction so much as just a take that I heard that infuriated me. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not... Uh, you said this on Roxy Fever on last week's show. I'll say it again. Chris Faber, turn the episode off. <laughs> 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 uh, but Chris Faber uh, on the Canuck conversation. And Chris, you can't get mad at me because I did listen to your show. And yeah. uh, and I didn't. I enjoyed it. Uh, but it's a good you, show. And everybody. Plug for, 
plug for Canucks conversation. Yeah, people are going to have takes that infuriate you. I'm sure that people listening to me and, uh, I mean, obviously people reading you have gotten upset with us in the past. Literally any time I say anything, yeah. But, but Chris had Kyle Bowan on the show, and uh, this is not just something that came from them. It's a reflection of the market. There were tons of posts about it on Twitter over the previous week or so. There's a thread about it on uh, HF Boards, which is, yep. I think, called, uh, let me just pull this up right now. The thread is called... Joshua Levo and Tanner Pearson, be better or get waved. Yeah. And I wanted to pull my hair out because people think that, uh, you know, depth scores in a slump or being streaky or going quiet on the score sheet for a week or two at a time means that they're trash players. I I listened to Faber and Kyle and, you know, all these people on social media and on message boards tell me that Josh Levo and Tanner Pearson are fourth-line players at best. And, in fact, Josh Levo isn't even a fourth-line player on a great team because Whoa. that's why Toronto got rid of him. It's like, oh, do you not think that there's a reason, maybe, that they just fired their <laughs> dumbass coach? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. And uh, I know I've gone off on this already uh, on the show over the last little while, but, you know, I-, I know that you wanted to come on specifically to talk about this issue. It is hilarious yeah. to me. Yes, Antoine Roussel scored two goals in the game against the Buffalo Sabres. Fantastic story. Yes, Tyler Myers scored his first goal as a Canuck, and it was a beauty. Fantastic story. These are all good. J- Josh Levo scored two goals in that game, and... Literally no one is talking about him at all. Yeah, I, I don't want to um, – I, I think uh, this, this came up a, a little bit recently. I think uh, Daniel Wagner, who's probably – has Daniel been on the show yet? Uh, he's been on once before, yeah. He, okay, he, yeah he's due yeah. for oh, a return yeah. appearance. I, I, remember, I remember the show now, yeah. So, so yeah, former guest on the show, Daniel Wagner, mentioned how people shouldn't project um, their, their own sort of ideas and insecurities onto, onto Jason Botchford because – Botch isn't around anymore, and he uh, he shouldn't be used as a as a cudgel to uh, to win you know internet arguments or whatever. But I have to say that I can picture in my head right now Botch screaming about how no one is talking about Josh Josh Levo and the fact that the Canucks got it for nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing. Literally, a guy that. I, Carcone. I mean, honestly, if you would think like there are people that that so desperately um, want this management team to have a win, have a clear cut, you know, like look at Jim Benning. He's such a great general manager. He did this. That's your move. They got Josh Levo, a credible at the very, very least whether it's production, whether it's underlying numbers, which have always been glowing, a credible middle six winger for an AHL player that it will probably never see the light of day. Um, I, I honestly can't believe that, uh, that of, of all the players you could single out and, and have a problem with that for some reason Josh Levo is finding himself in the crosshairs at times. And, uh, and Pearson to a lesser extent, too, although I think Pearson does kind of have the stink of the Good Branson uh, era attached to him, and so I understand it a little bit more. But, but, I, but I mean, he's on pace for 52 points this year. Yeah. 
He was acquired for the one of the worst defensemen I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And there are people who believe that, well, he, yeah, he won the cup in L.A., but he was a fourth line. No, he was actually a second-line player on the Kings team where he won the cup. That was their second cup. That line was considered, like, the best line in hockey <laughs> for a time. The, the media wouldn't shut up about it. It had a stupid nickname. The se- um, that 70s line. That 70s line, yeah. A- a- people loved that line, and people loved the Kings, and people loved Tanner Pearson, although he was the complimentary player on that line. But, I'll, but, I'll, but I'll concede 52 that. points. I have yeah. people on Twitter telling me that's second-line production. That's average second-line production. What in, f- in 19... What? In, like, 1990, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I already made this case on the show a couple days ago, but, but you know, 53 points overall in league scoring, including defensemen, <laughs> is 90th in the league last season. Yeah. Which means you're a first-line player if you put up that many points. Like, Yeah, that's right. It, these guys are – people don't understand that the, the most uh, – I can't remember exactly what the sort of top 10 offensive players, what their totals were like last year. But I know very, very firmly that 70 points was elite high-end first-line production for a player last year. Um, Probably like top 30 easily, right? Yeah. And so, but a 70-point player who is among the NHL's elite in – in production that means that logically he that player has to have at least 12 games where they did nothing and so that and that's an elite player and so if you're Tanner Pearson and you do in fact end up scoring let's say 50 points this season that means there's going to be 32 games where you don't score and as most people have been able to observe, like that's not actually how it works either because most players kind of score in bunches. So there's going to be games where you score two or even three points. And then you're, there's going to be stretches of four five, six, seven games sometimes where you don't get any production at all. Tanner Pearson went into Edmonton and was the best player on the ice in a game that included Connor McDavid and Leon yeah. Dreisaitl. Like that's it. Beginning and end of thought. Yeah, it's it. And I think the, the 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 danger here is it's it's very easy to go too far in the other direction and try to say that like Tanner Pearson and Josh Levo are elite players, and they're not. But you know, I had a piece uh, up at Canucks Army that that went up earlier today, as of da- as of date of recording, um, about basically how those two guys in particular, and even you can make the case a couple of other guys on the roster are credible top six second-line players. Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about production. who's on pace for what, Josh Levo right now, six goals, ten assists through 30 games, is on pace for a 44-point season. And I know people don't want to believe that that's second-line numbers, but newsflash, those are second-line numbers. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, I think people came up with that 2011 team, and expect that because Ryan Kessler was a 75-point, 40-goal scorer, that that's what a second-line player does on a contending yeah. team. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, the reason why Kessler put up those kinds of numbers was because, first of all, of the way that the team was deployed, where, uh, you know, those top two lines were getting really, really just plum offensive opportunities, tons of offensive zone starts. Uh, and Vigneault tried to match them against weak competition when he could, so that to just, inf- and that just inflated their numbers even more. And then also, uh, being the trigger man on the first unit power play. And that's really, if you take a look at where the Canucks are at offensively right now, um, you know, I, I think, first of all, the term top six or second line is sort of outdated anyways because it's not really how offense works. Uh, you don't have a top line that, you know, scores the majority of your goals or whatever, and then a second line that pads that total and then third and fourth lines that check or, or muck, muck it up or grind or whatever. Uh, generally the way things work is you have ideally, I, I mean, a good team, like, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> at least a good team prior to this year, the Tampa Bay lightning actually had four lines that, that could produce offensively, but ideally a, a, a good team has nine, maybe 10 forwards, who can provide offense in the right role. And so that means that generally, you know, with the Canucks, they have a top line that, you know, produces a ton of offense on the power play and, you know, some decent kind of credible top six production at, uh, at even strength. And then they have guys like Levo and Pearson, who really are not that impressive on the power play, but have put up uh, really good numbers at even strength. And then, they even have guys like Jake Bertanen and Adam Gaudet, who, you know, underlying numbers-wise have been uh, kind of, I don't want to say disastrous, but certainly questionable at times, but who are scoring a lot of goals in a sort of more um, limited role. And so when you look at the totality of their offensive group, uh, they have a top six. Is it consistently the same players every night? Not necessarily, but they have a good first line. They have a great second line center, and then they have a group of uh, four, maybe even five wingers now with uh, Roussel coming back that can rotate into that second line and provide credible secondary scoring. And, you know, obviously I'm Mr. The Canucks are mediocre, so I'm not – I'm not saying that this is some kind of elite offensive group. But hang on but a second. Think... Hang on a second. You <laughs> you wrote an article about how Josh Levo and Tanner Pearson are legit top six contributors. That's right. I thought I thought you had some sort of negative agenda to push here. <laughs> yeah, you would you would think yeah, so. Wouldn't you be telling like me that. that they're fourth line players and you know <laughs> Josh Levo has to be off the team if this team wants to contend? No, I, I mean, shockingly, I just want to be correct. That's, that's what this is all about. I, I, don't, uh, I don't care about uh, agendas or, or any of that. I just, I, I don't like to see, I, I'm very pro player, actually, and I, I don't like to see guys um, getting unfairly uh, harped on. And, and I think, you know, the, it's, I'm more critical of the team than anybody, but it's really important to keep that criticism fair and yeah. and uh and and concede when reasonable. they do things right 
Exactly. Because they they have done things right, certainly more over the last year or so than they did in the three that preceded it. And if people want to be skeptical about the things that they did during that time, well, look at history. Look at what we sat through for the entirety (laughs) of this regime, basically. I know people want to think that the clock resets when Lyndon walks out the door, but sorry, it really does not. Like, it just really does not. No, absolutely not. And the thing about Levo to me, too, is that even if he wasn't scoring at a second-line pace, even if he was, you know, going to put up 25 points this year or whatever, the things that he does defensively, the things that he does along the boards, like that in itself is value enough to say this is at worst a third-line player, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. With a group that has struggled – in terms of two-way play and especially defensively uh, over the first two months of the season, like Josh Levo is really, people are not singing his praises enough. He's a very, very good two-way player. Um, he is, uh, he's credible offensively. Sure. But his, his underlying numbers have been fantastic and they're always fantastic regardless of who he plays with, which stands in, in very stark contract to contrast to someone like Jake Rutanen who seems to be able to put up decent individual numbers, score some goals uh, wherever he is in the lineup, but kind of limits everyone else around him, especially uh, on the defensive side of the puck. So, uh, you know, I I really think, um, you know, over Canucks Army, part of the, one of the things we've always tried to do is to try to find these unsung heroes and, and give them their due because guys like Josh Levo, they aren't sexy. They just, they don't, uh, they don't generate a lot of uh, heat, and and so even in multi-goal see, games, you know, even, yeah, you can even score two goals games. and no one's going to talk about you. I I really really wish uh, people would would sing this guy's praises more because he's he's so, really just such a fantastic story, and you know I I know I said not to project uh, <laughs> project things onto our dearly departed friend, but I I know I, I think I knew Botch well enough to be able to say that. Levo is 100% the kind of guy that he would have wanted to write a feature about this year because his story is so uh, amazing. And, and, the, and sure, like the underlying numbers and the performance has been great, but when you couple that with the fact that he spent so long in Toronto waiting to get his due and, um, you know, struggled so hard to, to even make it into the NHL, the, the fact that he's having an impact is... It's it's such a great story. I, I just wish more people were talking about it. And you can't tell me that this team doesn't have depth and quality depth scoring when they win a game 6-5 in overtime and the only goal that comes from their top six is the OT winner on the power play. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree completely. Uh, I don't want to get too far down a rabbit hole, but if we're talking about guys who deserve some love... I'm still, I know you're going to tell me that the underlying numbers don't support it. I, I thought Jake Vertanen had a good game against the Sabres. Honestly, I really did. And I'm hoping he can settle into a, a nice groove here playing with Gaudet and uh, Antoine Roussel. Because as much as I want to see Roussel return to Bo Horvat's wing at some point, and I think that would be good for Bo as well. Yes, we do. You know, he made those Roussel goals happen, really. He did. And and if he can put be put in a role that, suits him and also be put on a team where there is depth enough to put pressure on him to deliver because I think a lot of people are assuming that he's going to be the one to come out of this lineup when it's healthy. 
he put on a performance against Buffalo that kind of makes it hard to say he deserves to come out. You know, that's no. He had, he had a great game. That whole line had a great game. And actually, while the uh, Roussel uh, Godet tandem line is is truly just such a dumb guy line. It's, it's just like <laughs> it's it's peak like guy on Reddit or HF boards predicting what the lineup is going to look like on day one of the season in like August uh, vibes. That's like a hundred percent, the kind of line that it sounds like on paper. Um, there is some method to the madness. They, they looked really good. First of all. And second of all, I think if I think that that combination specifically um, can do a lot of, uh, or can rather can really help mitigate a lot of the negative elements of Jake Vertanen's game. Jake Vertanen is going to be at his most effective when he does the least amount of thinking possible. He needs to basically just skate in a straight line as fast as he can, go really hard to the net, uh, just you know, try to basically be a bull in a china shop and just play purely instinctually. And Gaudet and uh, Roussel really complement that quite quite nicely because they're both speedy, kind of gritty players, but they're a lot more cerebral than Jake is. Um, especially Roussel, I think he's kind of underrated as a as a playmaker, especially. So, um, you know, I I start to feel actually pretty good about the Canucks forward group if that third line uh, starts to click. But. Um, I'm still kind of a Jake Rutanen skeptic overall. But I, I will say he did have a good game, and that line looked very good. When you call them a dumb guy line, I want to be clear that like we're, we mean in the sense that like if you were to cast the Canucks in a, in a movie and not do the Stefan Roger thing of <laughs> trying to find lookalikes, if you were just to capture their pure essence, that line would be played by like... <laughs> Matthew Lillard and Seth Green and <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, who's another classic dumb guy actor? Uh, fuck, uh, I had one earlier. I forget, but that's you know that's what we're saying here. Yes, absolutely. No, and 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 just the classic like the people who love that line and advocate for that line are are like you know flat flat brimmed hat guys. <laughs> like uh, I, I don't know. I won't I won't get into it too much, but. I, for, for for those of you who who understand the re- reference, it's it's a hot coach guy line. Yeah, one hundred percent. Matthew Lillard, Seth Green, and uh, Sean William Scott will say that's one hundred percent. Yeah, that's who's playing that line in Canucks the movie. Uh, <laughs> anyways, before we wrap up here, uh, Jackson, I just have one final question for you, and okay. uh, it's a good one. Uh, are you ready for it? Yes. If you're the Canucks, with understanding you could sign Hall to a extension, would you give up Hughes or Pedersen in trade? <laughs> Who, what was that guy's name again? Kevin Paul Dupont of the Boston Globe. Well, I mean, uh, I hate to do I hate to do uh, sports fan identity politics, but I guess that's what you expect from a, a, a hockey writer from Boston. <laughs> And remember, oh, remember, it's not with understanding that you will sign Hall to an extension, just merely that you, you could. <laughs> Would you trade to your two best, one of your two best players 
for three months of a guy and maybe you re-sign him at the end of the year. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Would you trade the next decade of these two generational talents for a 30-year-old who's worse than them? <laughs> Uh, that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> so that is that a no? Is that a no from you? No, that's a no. That's a that's a no from me, dog. All right. Well, you know, you can never predict what's going to happen. We just might see. <laughs> Patterson to the Devils for Taylor Hall. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, Jackson. Uh, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. And um, you know, uh, I'll let you plug Canucks Army right now. Yes, please. Go, uh, go to Canucks Army, read. I'm honestly, I've, I've been so happy with the content that's been rolling out lately. Uh, we just added David Quadrelli to the team. I know he has been on the show before. Um, we got a lot of good stuff up there. I, you just added um, Danny Huntley to your uh, game day. Absolutely. She, she just did, uh, her first post game thread for the site, uh, just the other day. And it was fantastic. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I've had a bunch of stuff up there this week. I'd also uh, quickly uh, like to plug a piece I wrote for Ricochet Media on the whole Bill Peters debacle. Um, you can find that at ricochet.media. And uh, please listen to Roxy Fever. If you in, have enjoyed my appearances on the show, you'll probably enjoy that show. So, yeah, and uh, thanks for having me on, Justin. Literally anytime, it's always a blast. Well, let me ask you one last question. Is the best part of your job as managing editor of Canucks Army the fact that you like get to come to people kind of like uh, Samuel L. Jackson at the end of an Avengers movie to be like, <laughs> you're now part of a larger universe. <laughs> Join yeah. my team. It tru- truly, it, it actually is the best part. The best part is, is finding kind of diamonds in the rough and being like, hey, I can. this person is like clearly very passionate or very talented or very whatever and being able to give them the opportunity to write for a bigger audience and have a uh have the chance to have their work edited by somebody who is you know at least semi-competent at it uh and and to get them you know hopefully paid a little bit of money anyways not a lot unfortunately but uh i i i try my my best anyways well, uh, as Tom Drance once wrote, the sky is always falling at Canucks Army. That's so, correct. Uh, good luck holding the roof up, Jackson. Thank you. That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. want to thank Jackson McDonald for joining me and for uh, giving me as much of his time as he did. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Thought that was a very funny chat. And I will be back again tomorrow with another special guest. We've got a couple of days here between games, and uh, I have guests lined up for just about every show this week, save for maybe Wednesday morning, uh, breaking down the Tuesday night game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I look forward to a packed schedule here on Locked on Canucks. I know I haven't necessarily been the most dependable in bringing you five shows a week over the last couple weeks, but I am this week and uh, looking forward to it too. we got some real fun ones coming your way. So uh, look forward to that. Do want to thank you again uh, for tuning in and do want to ask you, as I typically do, to rate and review the program wherever you happen to get it, whether that's the uh, Apple Podcasts store or anywhere else it 
always uh, gives us a little nudge up the algorithm and helps people find the program. Or you could just, you know, share the show as well. If you liked this podcast, if you liked this episode and you think other people will like it too, why not uh, throw me an old uh, tweet or something? Recommend the program to people on Twitter and let them know that it exists as well. Until tomorrow, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.